freaking emotional buyers that drive me nuts. Like, can we all just make it like a pact that we're not going to put an offer on this house for four days. So everybody can do their research. Like would everyone just, let's just make an agreement. It's listed on Monday, no offers till Thursday. Like none of like, just everybody should have this time, you know, but no, it's like, Oh, two hours later, house sold. It's like, well, I didn't even have time to do research. So I don't know. Welcome to Critical Thinking Required, hosted by LBW. This podcast is intended for free thinkers, entrepreneurs, and knowledge seekers. Join us as we discuss relevant financial topics, explore with guests their financial journeys, and engage with experts in industries such as space, media and entertainment, real estate, and many more. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Yeah, already I'm recording now, so Tina oh, says no. anything crazy. I don't look pretty yet. Hold on. Welcome to Critical Thinking Required. You're with your host, myself, Tim Bickmore, and my two colleagues, Dan Weiss and Nathaniel Leach. And we have a guest today, and he's a second uh, second comeback guest, Tony Bickmore with Bickmore Construction. Um, I'm not going to read a bio for Tony this time since we did it on our last podcast, The Reality of Remodeling, which was a fantastic podcast about remodeling, rebuilding, and your primary residence. Is it investment or not? So please go back and listen to that episode. Um, We're really excited to have Tony back. We're having Tony back for this episode to talk about investment real estate outside of your primary residence. So I think I mentioned on The Reality of Remodeling that a primary residence was a question we get on a daily basis. I think right after we're done with that question, people then ask about, well, can I buy a house to flip it? Can I buy rental income property? Um, How does that work? I want to invest in real estate. So we thought, hey, let's bring in another expert to talk about what that really means and what it takes. Um, Again, Tony uh, is a founder of Bickmore Construction, and he also um, is getting into the investment real estate game when it comes to building spec homes, looking at property development and different areas. And Tony has a really interesting take as he takes, uh, has a take from the construction side as well as the investment side. So Tony, thank you again so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Glad to be back. So I'm going to start the questions off this time and we just really want to talk about investment real estate and you know, what you have to do to get into it. And, you know, if we wanted to talk about flipping income properties, spec homes, like where do you want to start? I think probably flipping would be a great place to start just because a lot of clients talk about that. So if we are going to start with flipping, like how do you even start doing that? Is it a good idea? Should a novice investor even do it? Like just give me your overall thoughts. Oh, house flipping. Yeah, that is, um, I try my best to call it you know, rehabbing to save my soul a little bit because flipping makes me cringe. Um, Flipping makes me cringe because usually that is your average DIY investor that um, is putting lipstick on a pig to turn around and try to make a buck. That's, you know, the bad, the bad reality of where flipping can get a negative um, reputation. Um, The, the hard thing with that and anyone that I'll say out out there that's flipping that, that has, it's our first time is, is take it serious. You know, everybody wants to get into house flipping um, for the investment, buy, sell that part. But like, it is the grind of the re you know, the rehabilitation of the home 
that consumes most of the life of that investment. And when someone buys that home and maybe they're home for life, you know, it may be something where they dumped all their cash for their down payment and they don't realize that their electrical is about to blow up or the water heater is about to blow or the furnace is on its last leg. And you can put these future buyers, especially in the market that most DIY flippers in, um, in a really tough spot, you know, it's, it's, a little bit unethical, you know, so just, just be aware of what you're doing. Try to be cautious. Um, so obviously with, with that being said, that being my first thing, um, no flipping's not, um, my first thing I would want to do with the house. Um, it is hard. It's a tough business. Most of the guys that do well at it are volume guys, which no DIY person can do. Um, people don't realize that real estate is a portfolio game, not a single house game. Um, that's due to a ton of reasons, you know, what, what's going to happen when you sell that house? What happens to your margins when you have to start pay property gains tax in under two years, you know, are you going to live in it? Are you going to 1031 it? And all of a sudden you got to have level two project ready to go in a short amount of time. And you make a mistake on that because you're rushed through the process. I mean, there's so much before and after you got to think about going into this, that deciding one day, cause you got a good appraisal on your home oh man, I must be king investor. Does not mean you should go flip houses. Um, is there money in it? Yes. Can you be good at it? Yes. Um, but it takes years and more often than not, you lose more than you win or you break even, which in my mind is just as bad as losing because he's wasted eight months, 10 months. You know, that's a long time to, to not make money when you put the amount of effort it takes into flipping a house. So, I mean, if we're talking specifically about flipping, you know, you have the fixer upper, right? with, I think it's um, Chip and Joanne who uh, are on that TV series. You have HGTV. I mean, you have a bunch of these reality TV shows that are based around flipping and they'll show you the numbers like, hey, we bought the house for this. I'll we show you numbers. for that. <laughs> so like, what's the reality of that picture? Like in your mind, I know you've worked with a few that have done flipping of houses. Like, is that true? Is it not? Are they really making those kind of numbers? Like, what are they so, promoting to the general public? Yeah. So side note and a little decoration or whatever you want to call it here. I'm not a fan of HGTV. Um, I don't like it. I don't watch it myself. Um, this old house I can get behind. There's just, you know, some things on there, but the problem is, 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 you know, we talked about in our first podcast is expectation for a client on a personal remodel is huge expectations for an investor is 10 X as important as that. And what these shows are doing is they're setting up unrealistic ex expectations. They're throwing these, you know, fake minor, oh, we're, we got into trouble this week because our cabinet showed up and it was white instead of gray. Let us show you how we took care of it and save the day and save our margins. Like, it's just not the real world. And, um, you know, a lot of these shows are, are, built so people can make money on their brand afterwards, their books, their designer lines and flipping the house is just, just a, a way to get there. Um, people don't talk about how a lot of sponsorships give them stuff for the house that they don't include in the numbers. There was a, a TV set here in Salt Lake that I followed a little bit. Um, I won't name names, but you know, they said they had sold a couple of houses. We looked at them three, four months later, they still weren't sold yet which means list price does not equal real price. Um, so they can say all day long, we were into this house a million dollars and we listed it for one six. 
gross profit of $600,000, but until you sell that sucker, it's not one six. So, um, you know, you, you gotta be careful. So to have that be your bench line of why you want to get into it. Yeah. It's not my, again, I'm a little jaded. I'm a little jaded, but yeah, not, okay. not my cup of tea. I can understand that. I mean, we, we look at it almost like day trading. Can you do day trading? Sure. Could someone be successful yeah. at it? Sure. Do you but know what I mean, the worst thing that can happen is you make money on your first flip. That's the worst thing that could happen to you. I think you're good at it. I, I, but going for like, what, like for you for specifically, what do you want to get into from an investment real estate perspective is it doesn't sound like flipping homes or, or rehabbing homes. Like what are what would you want to look into? What have you gotten into? Could you talk a little bit about that? You personally? Oh man. Well, with all that being said, I would love to flip and rehab houses. So, um, <laughs> you know, I would do it, but I don't, I don't look at it like that. I look at it, you know, I'm a big believer that you make your money on the buy of the house. And I feel like one of the very first missteps people do is thinking that the more money they put into it, the more they can cover up for a bad buy. Um, and the smarter they do their rehab, the more they can cover up for a bad buy. And if you buy a house wrong, it's just not a good investment. You're better off turning around selling it for $10,000 less than you bought it for and just getting it out from underneath you. You know, you guys, I'm sure it's the same thing with stock picking. You know, it's sometimes if you buy that thing wrong, it doesn't, the only thing you can do to, to cover that up is to wait it out. And how many people want to sit on something that they feel like is a bad investment today? And that takes time. And that's where it goes into portfolio. You buy a house wrong, sit on it for 10 years. It'll come back. It'll, it'll go, you know, it'll, it'll appreciate. It'll, it'll make you some money, but do you have that time? And most of the time when you start talking about flipping rehab, it's, it's a conversation about money more so than it's a conversation about pricing or sorry, about time more than it is about pricing. Time is the biggest factor that people misjudge. They misuse and gets them in trouble because you start talking about hard money start talking about, you know, selling seasons, missing the selling season, going into the dead season, you know, those are all, all important factors. And I've been doing this professional for quite some time. And I can tell you the hardest thing to do right now in today's market is project timelines. It's impossible. So I would, I, you know, we're trying to get into it. We just purchased a property actually um, that we're going to um, restore the lot, I would say, because we will probably, you know, level the home and, and start fresh to give the lot its justice on the street. Um, it's a beautiful street, beautiful neighborhood. And it, it was terrifying. I'm still terrified. I go to bed every night, terrified about it. You know, like my confidence level is obviously there cause I, I pulled the trigger, but man, it is a second guess every time. And, but we feel like we bought it right. And that's what, you know, gives us confidence to go to bed. You know, after those stressful thoughts is, you know, we, we bought it. Okay. We bought it under our thesis and you know, what we believe is, is right. And we're going to stand by that and, you know, see how the cards fall. So we, we've kind of touched on it a little bit already, Tony, but can you walk us through your investment framework when it comes to investing in real estate? So it kind of goes into two two different avenues. There's your, your long-term investment and your short-term investment. So as we talk about flipping or rehabbing a home, it's a short term, right? It's going to happen in under two years, a lot of times under a year, six months time, you know, that's something that's very much a now thing. When you start to get into rental properties and you start to get into long-term holds, it's a, it's a whole different conversation, a whole different framework. Um, but our framework with short-term deals is, um, understanding the emotional side of the market and trying our best 
to understand where the market is and what perceived value of street by street is. I mean, we live in an area in Salt Lake where you work your way a block at a time and home ceiling prices can jump $200,000 a street. And when you're looking at Google Earth, that looks like they're right next door to each other. So, you know, house on street A may go for 2 million and all of a sudden it makes the house on street B for 600,000 just look like the biggest deal ever, but the ceiling price on house B is a million dollars. You know, like it, it can be that kind of craziness and not understanding that is, is a big mistake. So we've put years into, you know, realtors, into homeowners. A lot of our homes are sold off market, they're pocket deals, meaning, you know, the average investor on MLS is never going to see it. You know, it's sold through friends, through neighbors, through social media. And a lot of the times these people are wanting to sell to someone they trust, you know, it's, you know, love letters, they call them around, you know, our neighborhoods is, people require when you go to buy a house to send in a love letter, why you deserve the house. You know, that's what kind of seller's market it is, is, you know, they can, they can pick and choose. I want this family that has this many kids um, because we want to do justice to our neighbors in the street. And so, you know, our Bickmore construction brand is so important to us because we want people to feel like they're selling someone selling to somebody that can make a home for somebody else you know, and not just profit on that. And we're going to sell a dumper. Or we're going to, you know, put lipstick on a pig and the next family that moves in is going to be dealing with headaches their whole lives. You know, like that's a big deal around here. Um, so our framework is being in touch with the neighborhoods. It's understanding values on a very micro level, street to street, and as well as understanding timing in the market, um, which we feel like is kind of our key framework for our short-term deals. Our long-term deals is more of a volume game. Um, again, going back to portfolios and um, loan to values and getting into kind of that stuff. So. So Tony, just to kind of go off, you mentioned this, the spec home that you recently just um, got involved with. Can you walk us through that a little bit? How long did it take you to finally pull a trigger on, on that investment? I mean, was this, you know, was this a year? I mean, how long have you been waiting to buy, you know, within the thesis specifically? Oh man, I think I started looking seriously at my first deals in like 2013, 2014. Do you remember those townhomes or those condos we were going to buy from my partner's mother-in-law? I think that was 13 or 14. That's really, you know, about a year before that um, is when we really started looking into, okay, we have the talents to, to be able to handle some of these scary handyman things and some of these scary, you know, be able to know what a house needs. And so we can understand rehab costs. It's kind of started about then. Um, we purchased our very first property last year. So five to seven years, I probably look at, two projects a month. I probably seriously look at one project every two months. Um, and sometimes a lot more than that, but that's usually a minimum. So I've looked, it's, it's in the real estate world. It is much harder to say no than it is to say yes. Um, it's sexy. Everyone wants to do it. Everyone gets all hyped up. Everyone's, everyone's got the story of the friend of the neighbor that did it, you know, and, and not understanding their their background and their scenario is such a mistake too. You know, every person's situation. You give the same house opportunity to ten different people, they're going to have ten different results. So it's not always just about the house itself. It's the process. It's about where you're getting your money, how much risk can you take, 
you know, there's so many things that go into it that it's, it's not a stock. It's not a singular thing that's independent of you. You know, you are controlling this. So factoring yourself in is a big deal. So you mentioned, you know, two houses a month, potentially one serious house every two months. Um, I mean, if I were to go on Zillow right now and look in your area within Salt Lake and even probably go in the neighborhoods, I could probably find 10, 20, 30 homes that are for sale on Zillow. Why haven't you picked one up so far? I mean, isn't the volume potentially there? Are you, is the MLS the place to start looking? I mean, you know, why sift through all of that when it seems like from, from my perspective, being more on the novice side of it, that there seems to be a plethora of opportunities. Um, because number one, I'm not in a position to get in the long, the long-term game of real estate. Cause to get into the long-term real estate game, you have to be able to put money aside and ignore it for 40 years, a large sum of money. And, you know, real estate will win every time in 30 or 40 years. You know, we can beef about that with you guys in the stock market, but you know, you give real estate time and it'll go, but you have to, you got to feed the beast and you got to leave it alone. And I'm just not in a situation currently and my partner's not to, to play the long-term game. We want to get there soon, but we, you know, we need cash on hand now for other things. We can't be putting it and, and in those other things right now. So short-term stuff, going back to our framework of how we think of things, we just don't love the value of the market now, you know, and we feel like we're at a, at a tipping point. I've been feeling like we're at a tipping point for like three or four years now. I don't know how this can keep going. And there's a bunch of reasons that people say it's going to keep going. Same thing, you know, I was just young enough, but old enough to remember in 2008, everyone saying why this run was not going to stop because it was different than the 90s and blah, blah, blah. And the more people I hear justify that this is going to keep going, the more scared I get that everybody's wrong. You know, maybe it's just the pessimist inside of me, but I just don't know how it continues. It's not sustainable. Um, Not with our jobs, not with our salaries. You know, when you start getting into the only people that can afford these homes are people that, you know, doctors and lawyers are entry level into this price point. You know, you look into tech, you know, which is kind of big to Salt Lake. It's, it's, you know, how long can that, that really ride for? So the market where the market is right now just makes us nervous. So that puts us at a hundred percent need to buying value and buying homes under market or in a position where we can add value to them, like adding square footage to the home, combining a lot. And that's just hard to come by. It's just, it's, it's, it's hard and it's effort. It's effort. Every, every house I look at takes five to 10 hours in these houses because of these freaking emotional buyers that drive me nuts. Like, can we all just make it like a pact that we're not going to put an offer on this house for four days. So everybody can do their research. Like would everyone just, let's just make an agreement. It's listed on Monday, no offers till Thursday. Like none of like, just everybody should have this time, you know, but no, it's like, Oh, two hours later, house sold. It's like, well, I didn't even have time to do research. So I don't know. I'd rather not, you know, you never regret the deals you don't do. Right. So, so that's just where, you know, this mark's just tough. It's just tough. So, and, and what was the, the, the pulling of the trigger for this current investment then? So the current investment, the, the biggest things that were for us is we feel like it's in what we call a protected neighborhood and a protected street. It's in a coveted area. Um, people want to be there. Um, people always want to be there. It's almost impossible to comp the house, which is what makes it a little bit scary because 90% of the deals that happen in this neighborhood aren't public record. So the only way you know what the neighbor's house sold for is because you know the, the buddy of the guy who bought it 
and you can use that as a comp. You know, you got to be in with the right realtors that want to give you the time of day. Um, so, so very coveted area, which we feel like is a little bit of a volatile market protector a little bit, maybe like buying a good company for you guys versus buying a, a trendy company. You know, it's, it's a solid area that will protect its value during up and down markets. Um, and so that was the biggest thing. Number two is we felt like the price point was fair. Um, it was by no means a gift, um, but it wasn't over market. We feel like we paid market value for it. And um, we feel like the potential of what we can do with the house um, due to a few comps that we know of that we pulled that we could, we could make something of it. And more importantly, which a lot of people were, this wouldn't matter to them. It's, it's more of a brand play for my construction side than it is anything else. Having our name on a coveted street, our sign is, is a part of the puzzle that, that no one else will understand where we're essentially buying ourselves a really good project that will probably get us a really good designer, which is huge. And this goes back to this whole, you know, someone may look at my deal and be like, Oh, Tony did this. We should mirror him, but they're not factoring in that I'm willing to drop my profit margin 20% because I'm doing a brand play for my custom construction company. So it's like, you don't, you're not, my perspective is so much different than yours that it's not just a money thing for me. It's, it's a brand play. It's, you know, marketing material. Like, yeah, obviously we're not going to lose money on it, but it's, it's not just purely a hundred percent investment. Um, but let's say uh, clients come to us and they want to, you know, they want to do this type of work. I mean, how do they even compete with you when you have a business that literally builds homes and rehabs homes? Um, you also have, it sounds like a network of individuals that can provide capital to buy the house, to carry the house for a certain time frame. Plus you have an in-depth knowledge of what's going on with in the street areas you want to be in because number one, you're working with those type of clientele. You have a network that's built in within that, that certain area. I mean, how, for example, do I come in and compete with Tony Bickmore or do I just not compete? Am I playing in a totally different ball game than, than you are? Or do I, am I playing a ball game that I don't even recognize? The only way for you to compete with me and be successful is if you get your hand on a project I could never. So a lot of the times what happens is you get, again, we talk about how the first, one of the worst things that can happen is someone making good money on their first flip. And it's because grandma passed, passed away, five siblings owns it. Now it's in the trust grandma was a little bit of a hoarder house was packed. They're like, we don't really want to list this. We don't want to go through all this. We just want to get rid of this now. And 30 grand less below market to have it sell like that is worth it. Cause that's like six grand less to each of us. Who cares? You know, math might be off there. And your nephew who's like, Hey, dad will give me a down payment, you know, or Hey dad, you, you own a fifth of this. Why don't you just carry you know, and we'll work out a deal where we buy out in-laws and, and you get this deal for this house where you're right off the bat, $30,000 in your pocket off of market value for today. Now, all of a sudden we're talking about, okay, we're talking about you doing that. Let's say Dan's watching you. Well, Dan doesn't know any of this. So Dan's thinking you bought it at market. And then all of a sudden he hears one, then he's going to go, you know, it's just the, the, the things that happen with gifted money, um, gifted equity, you know, all these things that happen is the only way a DIY investor can, can compete with a professional. So you come in, you have your deal because I couldn't buy it at that price. That's how you beat me. If you and I buy it at the same price, I beat you every time. I just, I do. Now, the only difference is I may not 
be willing to risk the cash you are to make such a low return. So for example, if there's a $300,000 home, I may walk away from it because I look at the margins and I see, okay, $300,000, it needs a hundred grand of rehab. That's 400. We can list it for 450. That's $50,000. That's not worth it to me. That's 50% of what I put into it. And that's what 10% gross of total cash out the door price. Like that's, you guys probably get in trouble for returns all the time, but you pay taxes on that and you tell me what the returns are. And you ask me if that's worth the risk for me, it's just not. So you may be able to step into something um, because you don't care because you're, you're, you're like, Oh, well, if it doesn't sell, I'll just move into it. And I could have it be my house anyways, you know, but, but we're just, you know, we have our margins, we have our things that it's, you know, cash is king and I'm not going to waste my cash on low returns, you know? It's not worth it. How does leverage play into that, Tony? We see it with our LA clients all the time that they have to compete against people bringing cash for $2 million homes. And if it's not cash, I would, I would think that a professional like yourself, the, the other leverage point that you might have is a line of credit that is a revolving line that you can continuously use for these kind of concepts. So yeah. I mean, we're, what is that, how does that factor in? Yeah. I mean, so one thing you can't compete with me with, which again, if you, unless you've got a wealthy family member that trusts you or you come into some money, you know, I have a network of lending partners um, that trust me. They trust in what I do. They trust in my vision of the market and, you know, the Berkeley lot house or, you know, the, the lot we just bought, you know, I, I, it was almost six figures of what I called and got borrowed to me and, 12 hours, you know, you're not making that call and getting that money. You know, you're, you're just not. And that's my, a little bit of a competitive advantage for me is to be able to call those, but that's taken me six years in the custom market of serving customers, being in the world. You know, that's our, our big more construction is our vehicle to get into, you know, this world, you know, and, and lending options for cash is that because if I show up to a seller and say, I can give you 700 grand tomorrow at four o'clock, no due diligence, no earnest money. Cause I'm going to close tomorrow. And you come to the table and say, well, this is contingent on me selling my other rental property. And I also need 45 days for underwriting and they're going to need, you know, all this here. I mean, who are you going to take? Even if I'm 30 grand less, they're going to take the cash offer every time, you know, it's, the risk in waiting 45 days to fill out a buyer when you have a cash offer is just not worth it. So cash is king on, on, on buying homes. So kind of getting away from the, the rehab and the flipping of homes, you know, you mentioned before that you and your partner are looking to potentially get into long-term investment real estate. So when you say that, are you talking more buying land to develop? Are you talking more about income properties? So having multifamily units to be able to rent, to generate income? And if so, what are your overall thoughts on the long-term side and not the short-term side? And how does your thesis then differ between the two? So long-term is huge. It's security. You know, hopefully within the next 10 years we're into it because it'll be my retirement, right? So obviously it's something that I'm thinking when I'm 60, you know, 70 years old. And and I don't really think about it as projects more. It's just like a dollar amount, right? I'd like to have 10 million in my real estate portfolio or 15 million or 20 million. Um, because then you can start working your way back through monthly cash flow and, you know, start talking about a little bit of fixed income with some contingencies. You know, you can start playing that game. 
the problem is, is to get to that point um, is scary. It's, it's, it's scary. I mean, you look at these people that own office buildings, you look at these people that own apartment complexes, very seldom is it your guy that makes a hundred thousand dollars a year, kind of low key. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, he owns a sixplex and an apartment and two single families. You know, it's just not, it's people that have wealth and more importantly have a contingency of wealth. So when something goes wrong with that property, it's taken care of. You hire a property management company. Oh, it needs a room new, a new roof and your tenants are going to sue you if you don't do it. Like you can take care of those things. And so we're just a believer that to do long-term real real estate, you have to be able to have cash on hand to baby that investment until that 20, 30 year mark to where either you can start to refinance it, pull money out of it. You know, maybe that's the 10 year mark, 12 year mark. Um, but until that time, it's not passive income. You're, you're paying to have that thing. I don't know if everyone, anyone's ever looked at the 15 or 30 year mortgage. You're renting that puppy for the first five to 10 years. Anyways, you have about $5 of a $2,000 a month mortgage going to that principal. So even when you refinance your loan to value, you're like, oh man, I've been making $5,000 payments on this thing. Why is my principal only down $3,000? You know, like what is going on? It's, so it's, it's hard money to see, um, you know, it's a glorified savings account, but costs money to be in. Um, but if you can do it and do it and, and be okay with that for 15 years, yeah, it's a, it's a great deal. But that first 15 years, man, it's, it's a, slugfest. Ask anybody that's had a rental first, first 15 years sucked. Wish they would have sold it, man. This thing, all it does is cost me money. 15, 20 years. It's like, yeah, it's a pretty nice little, little rental property now, you know, but like no one after three years is like, oh yeah, it's a nice little rental property. Like, no, it's <laughs> just nothing. <laughs> uh, you know, in the previous podcast, Tony, you talked about how people will justify um, what they what they want, and there's a cousin to that. It's called ignore what you don't want to see, and um, it's just it's funny as you hit on this. I mean, just the other day uh, we were having a conversation with a client where this kind of concept of owning doors, right, multiple properties, probably does make sense, but it made sense for the following reasons. And I'm sure you could probably add to this. The person's going to do their own work. So they don't have to hire somebody and they can like they're, they're capable of doing that Two, They have the time to do it because their current job allows for that. And uh, you know, they're, they're a police officer. So they are going to have to retire earlier than the average person. Um, and then they're going to have a pension. Plus they have a spouse who makes a considerable amount of money that allows them discretionary income so that they can go ahead and they can fund this hobby that he hopes to become his retirement, which you kind of alluded to too later, later in life. Um, so it makes sense. And this is what we've been told by a number of people that have seen success. One, they owned, as you said, this is not a single home game. This is a portfolio game. So they own multiple properties, which then either A, they manage themselves or now justifies having a management team come in and pay eight to 10% because it's on multiple properties. They save the labor costs because they're skilled and have time to do so. And the one that I think everyone forgets, they have a funding mechanism that comes into play to allow this to work for years before it actually takes off. Like any other investment concept, it's like you said too, it's going to take time. 
that's been a working formula that we have seen um, over that span of time. And I'm wondering if there's anything that you can add to that, because we clearly agree that I, I don't know that I would say that unless you can do it this way and you're waiting on time, that this is truly passive, passive income. Um, yeah, it's just not, not passive income. And it, it's it, passive income to me is, is, I mean, the only real passive income in my mind is a dividend check or a trust fund kick out yearly, you know, everything takes work. And it's funny. I was talking to someone the other day that wanted to have some passive income from rental property, you know, and they were going to put down $60,000 for a down payment. It was going to generate after their mortgage cleared and he was ignoring maintenance costs and then, you know, interest on the loan and all that, you know, like 600 bucks a month. And he was so excited about it. Right. And I'm just like, okay, you could deliver pizzas for Domino's 10 hours a week and make 800 bucks a month for zero risk, zero maintenance costs. Like go get a part-time job, go make 20 grand a year. Like think about that. A thousand dollars a month is $12,000 a year pre-tax. It's like, what part-time job could you find that makes $20,000 a year? If you're a very, you're a capable person, like quite a bit of options, you know, that probably require equal time, probably less weekends, you know? So it's, you know, it's, it's, a, and the problem is, is it's like, well, in 20 years, it'll be worth 300 grand. It's like, yeah, well, also if you made a thousand dollars for 500 months, it would also be 300 grand, you know, it's, it's the same math. So it's, 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 again, you know, we talked about this in the first podcast, asset versus investment. And one of the things we want to do to build our long-term investment portfolio is to increase our short-term. Because when you start having assets, it's a different conversation with lenders. You know, sometimes it's worth it to own a property that cash flow zero, but that you're a 50% loan to value that you can put up to buy another property. You know, so now all of a sudden we're talking about leverage, we're talking about assets, we're not talking about monthly cash flow. You know, it's, it's a different reason to hold that. So, you know, it's, it's just not even, it's not a cash flow game. A lot of these, you talk to, to big guys that have lots of real estate. They don't talk about monthly cash flow. They talk about 1039, you know, 1031 and jumping from one property to the next and refinancing one to buy another one. You know, real estate, the biggest thing about real estate is it's opportunity to buy something else, not to pull cash from it itself you know, to one day turn and sell that portfolio to somebody else, you know, but that's a long-term hit. That's again, that's 20, 25 years down the road. You know, it's, when you wait long enough, a lot of things will make you money in 25 years. And if you, I don't know if you agree with this, with novice investors, do you feel that they understand the true game that they're actually playing in? Like the sandbox they're actually in? No, I, I mean, no, because I'm only looking from the outside. And sometimes I see people do deals that I wouldn't touch. And so automatically, I think they don't know what they're doing. Maybe they know something I don't, right? I can use my own, you know, listen to myself and say, maybe they have something on this that I don't. But I think the market conditions over the last 10 years, 2010 to 2020, I mean, you could have thrown a dart at a dartboard and landed off the board and made money in real estate. And that's just the truth of it. Now, the problem is, is like, when everybody says you can make money on it, you're probably getting to the point where you missed the boat. You know, like if everybody made money on a flip and now you're just deciding to flip it, you may have missed the window. Um, and the next 10 years is, it's tough to predict with the housing market, but yeah, it's, it's gone nothing but up in the last 10 years. And, 
you know, you and I have to look inside even myself. We ask us, ourselves with our construction company, like, are we the reason we're growing in sales? Are we the reason we're getting more work? Or is it the market? And it's the same thing I look at investments, you know, like, are we actually controlling this? Or are we just getting lucky? And one of these days, we're not going to get lucky. And do we have the means to back up when we're wrong? You know, and that's where, again, you guys talk about a second income stream. It's your spouse's money. It's your in-laws money. It's a, a bonus from work. It's, you know, but at that point you start looking at gambling, right? If you're spending money that you're assuming you're going to lose or that you have a good chance of losing now, all of a sudden it's, it goes back to risk factor. Um, and if real estate is your second or third investment opportunity behind two or three others, like, yeah, maybe you can lose that money and not have it be a big deal. But if it's your, if you're borrowing against your 401k and you're taking out a second mortgage on your house to buy that, that first, you know, rental income property, which I hear people do, it's just like, just don't, just, just don't. If I'm going to highlight a, a takeaway, I think I'm going to say, The intent of HGTV is to be an entertainment channel, yes, not a training curriculum. Dan, is that your final word there? I think I yeah, everyone's final word. <laughs> right. Oh, that's great. Um, I mean, I can go with my final thoughts on this. Uh, first off, Tony, again, thank you for coming back and joining us on our podcast. We always appreciate your your knowledge and your know how. Um, but I think I just go back to you know. I think when you start on trying to think that you understand something, it's when you probably don't understand it at all. And then you go a little bit deeper and then you really don't understand it. And you keep going down deeper and deeper and deeper. And you really don't understand it until you hit the floor and you're like, Oh, now it makes sense. But it takes so, so much time and effort to really truly have a competence within a certain level. And, you know, with Tony, what the thing that I want to highlight is Tony doesn't just have competence when it comes to the streets and the values that he's looking at. He also has an extreme competence when it comes to the construction cost what everything is. He talks to vendors on a daily basis. He talks to subs on a daily basis. He has a, a, a thumbprint on a lot of different factors. So, and he does it on a day-to-day 10 to 12 hour basis. Right. And he's done it for six, five to six years for a novice to come in and think that they can replicate that type of knowledge and know-how or competence. I mean, it's just, you're fooling yourself. You have to do that for another 10 years. It's the you know, Maxim Gladwell's idea of, you know, putting your 10,000 hours in. And I think that comes from any type of investment, regardless if that's real estate, the stock market. Um, so either if you're going to do it yourself and you're going to start being active inside of that portfolio, you have to do your research. You have to put your time in. And sometimes you have to put money somewhere where it is a little bit risky. So if you're going to risk that kind of cash, make sure it is money that you can lose. And I want to convey that concept to people. Okay. This is what's known in the world this big circle, this small circle right here is what people in real estate know. This is where the experts reside. That's where Tony is right there. That little, that little pin drop right there. Is it funny that I find that flattering that I get that big of a spot? No, that was the intent. That's how non-confident I I am. Yeah. (laughs) That's exactly what I'm describing though, is the circle of competence is that Tony has built up a moat within the real estate world, specifically within not only construction, but also investing in real estate to accrue that kind of experience takes time and it has to be a full-time job. It it can't just be a pastime. 
Okay, let's say you want it to be a pastime. It would take you 30 to 40 years to accumulate that kind of experience on a part-time basis. And Tony's just going to keep on steamrolling and learning and compounding his knowledge over that same time period. So he's going to be light years ahead of what you and everybody else knows. So the sooner that people can drill that into their head, the sooner it makes sense for them to go get that part-time job, like Tony was saying. <laughs> that was offensive. And they'll, they'll come out ahead. <laughs> That's all I got. Take us well, home, Tony. What do you got? Yeah, you know, I would say that if you're really going to, you know, I'm in real estate, right? I want to be in real estate. So obviously I enjoy it. Obviously there's money to be made. If you're going to do it, if you're a DIY or wanting to turn professional, if you're just wanting to do it as a hobby, um, you know, two things. Number one, find a mentor. Find a mentor that's been doing it, that's had success, not once, not twice, but multiple times. They're out there. Call your realtor, ask who they sell homes to, you know, branch out. Find someone, latch onto them, follow them on some deals, you know, say, hey, can I go look through, you know, you're going to look through houses. Can I just drive with, you know, not drive because it's COVID, but do whatever, you know, but just leech on for a couple of deals, find out how they think, think, you know, find out how they're doing their numbers, um, learn from somebody else, you know, it's, experience is, you know, experience is sometimes hard labor earned, but mentorship is free. And if you can find someone to do it for you, just, just do it. Um, number two is do not try to be smarter than the numbers. It's the biggest mistake everybody does. I still do it. I still, every time I bid a job, I tell myself, don't, you're not smarter than the numbers. Don't try to out justify this. Um, you know, take your numbers to your financial advisors, take them to your account take them to someone. The numbers are the numbers. You cannot outsmart them. The only thing you can do is forget to add them together. So um, if you can do those two things, you're, you're headed in the right direction um, and find some realtors that love you and be nice to them. There's that's, it's few and far in between that you can really have a strong relationship with. And that's probably the single most important tool. Tony, fantastic points. And thank you again for taking time out and joining us for another round of, of these podcast sessions. We really appreciate it. We know our audience does too. And thank you audience for joining us tonight and thinking critically and, and, and keep an eye out. We just might launch an art segment called paint by numbers with Nathaniel. And it's going to be fantastic. Have a great night. Thank you for taking the time to start your journey of thinking differently and listening to LBW talk about stuff they love. Until next time. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual on any specific security, on any specific broker-dealer or custodian. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments, broker-dealer or custodian may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinion of Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC. 
Leach, Bickmore & Weiss Wealth Management LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Leach, Bickmore & Weiss Wealth Management LLC and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Leach, Bickmore & Weiss Wealth Management LLC unless a client service agreement is in place.